Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time, and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and all and forever. 843-664-8989, heritagedigital.com. Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherwood. Hey folks, Inside the Gamecast Podcast, J.C. Sherbert here with you on a Saturday, a rare Saturday episode. Been under the weather, man. I've been sick a lot lately. Uh, girlfriend and I had a really bad cold, worried it was COVID, tested negative yesterday, but uh, obviously doing, uh, I guess, voice stuff, uh, sound a little rough and didn't want to like give you guys um, a bunch of coughing into the microphone. Don't know how long we'll go today, but... Wanted to get to some mailbag questions and talk a little bit about what's going on. Thanks to Heritage Digital, as always, uh, for sponsoring uh, the podcast. And it's time for news and notes. Uh, the biggest news, obviously, South Carolina hires Sterling Lucas to replace Mike Peterson on the defensive staff. Uh, he's listed as an outside linebackers coach, probably going to be a guy that coaches the ends more, more than likely. South Carolina, uh, if he does what Mike Peterson did, uh, he'll be coaching guys like Jordan Birch, Jordan Strong, Gilbert Edmond, uh, guys like that uh, that play the buck and, and the end. And then the uh, they use a Sam linebacker every now and then, and that guy is also part of that group. Uh, Lucas comes from the Jaguars. Um, he was the assistant defensive line coach there with Tosh Lupoy, uh under Urban Meyer this year. Obviously, the Jaguars were terrible, uh, but the defensive line uh, – the defensive coordinator for the Jags was, is a guy named Joe Cullen, who was the D-line coach at Baltimore before coming down. Uh, it was actually a bright spot uh, for that franchise. Uh, those guys were pretty well coached. Uh, Tosh Lupoy, who was the main defensive line coach, took a job at Oregon. So he's going to go be a part of Dan Lanning's staff. He's back in college, obviously. Most of his career has been at the college level at Alabama and other places. Uh, and then uh, – Sterling Lucas is coming to South Carolina uh, to uh, coach the position he's coaching. Now, I, uh, you know, I understand some of the concern uh, about this, and we're going to get into some of it in the analysis segment. But uh, I think, in my opinion, from where I stand, it was very important for Clayton White, Shane Beamer, 
to get a guy that's kind of a, a coach. Uh, in other words, you know, you got Jordan Burt sitting there. Uh, he's technically going to go into his third year. He's really only had one year. Uh, all the upside in the world. They need to maximize him. You know, and, you know, this year I thought he got a lot better, but he was up and down. He's still adjusting. You got to get the most out of him. It's time for him to go start. Uh, you got to get Jordan Strong to the point where he can play his way into being a first rounder. Uh, and on the interior, too, where Jimmy Lindsay's still there, you know, Zach Pickens, uh, Rick Sandage, Boogie Huntley, uh, those guys, Nick Barrett, Tonka Hemingway. Uh, South Carolina's got a lot of defensive linemen in the program that have a lot of potential, uh, but they need to be coached up and they need to get better uh, and be developed. I, I thought they took a lot of positive steps forward uh, this season. Uh, they weren't bad. They had some games where they were dominant. Uh, I thought North Carolina in the bowl game was that way, but they had some disappointing games. Uh, Clemson was a very, very disappointing game considering Clemson's offensive line had been sort of so-so going in, and they, they blew Carolina off the ball. So there is work to be done at that position. I know a lot of people kind of just chalk it up and say, well, you got a lot of talent there, and, and so they're going to be fine. But but on the lines of scrimmage, as we all know, watching the offensive line this year, you you got to coach guys up. they got to have a good feel for what they're doing. Um, there, there's an athletic upside quotient to that. Uh, there's a there's a a work quotient to that uh, as far as it goes to get your D line uh, maximized. Brad Lawing, when he's at South Carolina, did a really good job of that. Um, Lance Thompson, who struggled recruiting at South Carolina, if you look back at the 2017 season, you know he he inherited a lot of guys that were not coached uh, by Deke Adams and Lorenzo Ward. You know, I'm talking about your Dante Sawyers of the world, your Ulrich Joneses of the world, uh, you know, those guys. And and Lance got, by the time 2017 rolled around, Dante Sawyer led the country in uh, forced fumbles, and Ulrich Jones was a key reserve. Taylor Stallworth was playing really well. Uh, and that was part of the reason that team was able to win nine games. Uh, and Lance has been a guy that's that's been around a while. He knows what he's doing as far as being a ball coach. So, you know, when you look at it from that standpoint, you know, John Scott Jr., uh, I thought for the one year he was at Carolina, uh, really took Javon Kinlaw from, you know, nice player with upside uh, to first-rounder, you know. And and that's kind of the key here if you're talking about the Gamecock D-line because uh, the potential's there, you know. South Carolina is just like any other SEC program that's – even recruited halfway decent, and I'd say they recruited well. Uh, they've got athletes and players uh, up front. Ask North Carolina because North Carolina really struggled uh, to block South Carolina, even with the Tariels having a relatively veteran offensive line. So, uh, to me, that's the whole key with the Sterling Lucas. And I, I know we're in news and notes, and I, I just blew my whole analysis there, but I've got other things to analyze. Uh, so that's that with that. Uh, More news, Uh, South Carolina is hosting a junior day as we speak. Uh, You look at it, I'm just going to rattle off some of the names Hale McGranahan's reported. Uh, First and foremost, uh, Virginia linebacker transfer West Weeks and Columbia University, that's the one in New York, running back transfer Dante Miller started visiting last night. Miller's done. Uh, 
Miller's from Rockingham, North Carolina, by the way, and super fast. He graduates from Columbia in May, uh, preferred walk-on candidate for the Gamecocks. Super, you know, like I said, super fast guy. So you can use him running back, returning kicks, slot, give him jet sweeps, Chris Rainey type, uh, Jeff Demps type within the scheme of an offense, Juju McDowell, uh, that type. And things are looking good. He'll probably make a decision here soon. Uh, did pick up a scholarship offer from Delaware today. So uh, we'll see if that moves the needle as far as being on scholarship versus being a preferred walk-on. Uh, West Weeks has visited LA. I think he's visited LSU and Southern Cal. And uh, he's on campus now. Uh, played a lot as a true freshman at Virginia. Very promising linebacker uh, prospect. And his brother, Witt, is a 2023 linebacker that's going to be in town for the junior day. Both those guys are from Oconee County and Watkinsville. Zeb Nolan's dad is their coach. Their father, David Weeks, played at Georgia in the 90s. I remember he's an all-SEC guard, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so Carolina could be getting a two-for-one there. A lot of competition for West Weeks uh, with the Trojans and Bayou Bengals and all that. But uh, that's uh, – that's looking decent for the Gamecocks as well. Uh, I expect Miller, uh, the Columbia kid, to have a, a decision by the end of this week. And then who knows with West and Witt what could happen uh, at junior day-to-day. Grayson Howard is a four-star linebacker from Jacksonville, Florida. Supposed to be in. Crystal Ball is in for South Carolina for him, per Hale McGranahan. Um, Keith Sampson is a four-star defensive lineman from New Bern, North Carolina. Lots of offers, Alabama, Ohio State, whoever. Ontario Hardesty, of course, is from New Bern. South Carolina has been recruiting him pretty heavily. Uh, I think the Gamecocks are right there for Keith Sampson. I think uh, it's a matter of convincing him that's the, the, the best place is to be in South Carolina and not Columbus or Tuscaloosa. That's easier said than done. Uh, but he's certainly a guy that the Gamecocks want. Uh Jeremiah Anglin from Lake Wales, Florida, is a safety that was the MVP of the All-American Combine. Uh, our evaluators at 24-7 really like him. I watched his film the other day. I think he's a good player. Uh, running back Jalen Johnson from Baxley, Georgia, is in town. They like him. Um, Dalen Smothers, running back from Charlotte, is a player that a lot of schools love. Uh, and so my, oh, I forgot Montique Reigns from Sumter. Uh, if you're looking to kind of, I guess, see recruiting-wise what Sterling Lucas can do, uh, Montique Reigns is a player that it's interesting because he he's he's from Sumter, uh, likes the Gamecocks. Uh, you know, he's one guy that that's sort of been iffy about the winning and losing. A lot of recruits can kind of buy into the future. They they don't necessarily need to see the winning and losing on the field, but but he's one that's mentioned that publicly. You know, plus Mike Peterson was his recruiter. So here comes Sterling Lucas. Plus, uh, the word is right now early, the other school that's really in the mix for him is NC State. Sterling Lucas uh, obviously is from South Carolina and went to NC State. So it's going to be an interesting sort of, uh, I guess, uh, uh, conversation, uh, I guess, to have with him. But big-time prospect from within the state. Uh, And then I'll I'll even throw out, since we're kind of – Close to the 2023 cycle, I think we can start talking about 2024, and I won't be, I won't want to, you know, beat myself in the face with a frying pan because <laughs> it's too early. Uh, but the state of South Carolina has two 
elite offensive tackles or or who could be two elite offensive tackles uh, for 2024. Josiah Thompson from Dillon, heavy Gamecock lean. I, I think the Gamecocks would have to really somehow mess that up to not get him. Uh, he's in. And then Cam Pringle from Woodland, uh, who's probably, you know, if you think about the history of Woodland, Clemson sort of does well there historically. But he's on campus, and uh, he'll be there too, 6'7", 295. Both those guys are really, really good um, as of right now. You know, you don't know what's going to happen moving forward. But uh, so, so if you kind of pick through the, the, the list of visitors, there, there's a lot of guys that as of right now, uh, and I stress that because it's early, uh, would be, you know, the type of high school players that South Carolina needs to start getting in the boat more. And I've said that that's the next step uh, in recruiting, in my opinion. Uh, I think, you know, as far as developmental guys, South Carolina signed an excellent high school class this year. Uh, I think that obviously the portal work they've done has been good. Uh, and obviously I think uh, the next step is to start getting some, you know, top 100 type high school players. And a lot of times with this program, it starts in state or in the Carolinas, uh, like Keith Sampson's a North Carolina guy. Um, so I think that's um, that's very important, I, I think, for the Gamecocks. I, I, I really, really do. Uh, I just hit the mic again. So that, that's the, the the bongo noise, folks, if, if you heard that uh, there. All right, so moving on, uh, I want to thank Cindy Searfoss, obviously, uh, for sponsoring this segment, the analysis segment. Uh, Cindy Searfoss from Coldwell Banker Kane Real Estate, married to a diehard Gamecock fan. Cindy's been in the upstate for more than 35 years and would love to help you with all your real estate needs. You can contact her at 864-414-5271 or csearfoss at cbkane.com. That's C-S-E-A-R-F-O-S-S at C-B-C-A-I-N-E.com. Right there on Daniel Morgan Avenue in Spartanburg. We know the real estate market. I have a buddy trying to sell a house in Spartanburg County right now. It's absolutely wild. Some of the things the realtors are telling him, you need a pro to help you navigate, man. Uh, and that is Cindy. That's what she does right there in my hometown of Spartanburg, South Carolina, uh, 864-414-5271. Uh, Cindy's good people. I know her husband, uh, really good guy, good coach for uh, what I consider to be the best high school in Spartanburg County. Uh, coaches a sport there. Uh, certainly um, thank her. Uh, for sponsoring uh, this podcast, Inside the Gamecocks podcast. So analysis-wise, like I said, I blew it with Sterling Lucas, but I mentioned the next step is in recruiting, just from what I see. And, and look, I'm not saying that this is not a good high school class. Um, I think there are a lot of guys in the high school class that can be really good players at South Carolina. I think it's a normal type class. That this, this program is typically signed uh, under Muschamp, Spurrier, whoever. And if you look back, uh, those classes are usually ranked in the, you know, 17 to 22 range. Uh, and some of them, uh, like in 2016, uh, it was number 25, but there's four or five NFL players in that class. And then some, like 2017, was ranked higher, but then, you know, you had some guys like Jam Wilson and, and, and Ortray Smith and, those guys that, that for whatever reason, does I say Jam Wilson, Jam Williams, 
Uh, and he's coming back to Georgia State, by the way, so he'll be back at williams Bryce in the season opener as a running back. Um, a lot of those guys, you know, didn't pan out for whatever reason, although in 2017 there's Shai Smith and Javon Kinlaw and uh, Dennis Daly, who are all in the NFL. But, you know, they, they all work out in different ways. Some of the Spurrier classes were ranked high and just had loads of busts, so you hope it doesn't work out that way. But this – the point is, is this class – you know, if if you look at it, there's just you can go through upside, 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 upside. Now, you know, guys like Keenan Nelson Jr., Stone Blanton, Anthony Rose, Landon Sampson, you know, even K Kwan Banks from Tallahassee, I think can get on the field early. Uh, you know, you got guys like that, Xavier Short, possibly. But then you know, you got three offensive linemen or probably developmental. Um you know, like all offensive linemen are, meaning they're going to, they're two or three years away. Uh, you know, you, you have a guy like DQ Smith coming in for Spring Valley. The, the whole in state class uh, is an upside deal. Nick Emanuare, DQ Smith, Kyla Horton, uh, Demetrius Watson, those guys are all get them in there. Hopefully they don't have to play. You redshirt them, maybe one surprises you. Uh, and then you go from there. Um, that kind of thing. Uh, and that's fine, you know, because there are you know, plenty of guys that, that sign with schools that are like that, that uh, end up in the NFL. Uh, and I, I like, you know, every one of these guys I look at and I go, well, here's why they took them. Here's what they could be. I'm sure there's going to be some busts just like in every class. So guys hit the portal or whatever, uh, and that's fine. That That's kind of the, the, the era we live in. But I do think the next step is, you know, Monteek Rames. He's a four-star top, you know, whatever kid, you know, 30 minutes from your campus. You know, you need to get him. Um, those two the, – the tackles in 2024 uh, in state. Got to get at least – got to at least split, in my opinion. Um, Keith Sampson, big defensive tackle from uh, North Newburn, North Carolina. You can go swipe him. Beat the whole country on him. That's good. Xavier McLeod from Camden. Um, those types of guy, type of guys. Uh, and, and, and then there's an even further up the scale group that, that if you can land one or two of those, great. So, you know, that's the next step. And, and I'm not saying that South Carolina can't get back to um, contending for the East without it. But you start doing that on the high school level, and I think you're, I think you're cooking with grease now, given what's happening in the portal. But I, I think you're really cooking with grease as far as uh, long-term sustainability, uh, that type of thing, uh, where your roster, you're building depth, that kind of deal. Uh, and it can happen fast. Uh, and look, I'm not saying the 2023 class is going to be top ten. Uh, I'm not saying that it has to be. <laughs> I'm just saying that you know when you look at it, there's always a next step and. You know, like there, there's a next step in recruiting in football. Um, don't I don't know enough about recruiting in baseball to say what they need to be doing different. Uh, I know in basketball, it's always you see all the South Carolina talent going elsewhere and playing in the NBA. So maybe that's the next step there in recruiting. Um, but as far as a program goes, you know, this next step for this football program. Okay, so you got. You got back to a bowl. You won it. You had a winning season. So, 
you know, the, the next step is to you won seven. Next step is win eight or nine. You know, build on that. Keep recruiting. Uh, that kind of thing. Long, you know, in a couple of years, you probably want to start contending for the division again. Uh, and that's that's really the ultimate goal next step. In men's basketball, the next step for the program uh, is to be consistent. You know, and at this point, you know, after the Final Four, and by the way, by the time many of you hear this, basketball may be, be over. Uh, you know, they play Florida uh, here in about an hour and 57 minutes at home. Uh, football recruits are going to the game. They're going to honor the Mayo Bowl champs, the football team there. But, uh, you know, the, the, the next step after the Final Four was this program needs to be more consistent in making the tournament. And obviously, that hasn't happened. Uh, so now, you know, what, what are we, five years after the Final Four? Um, probably the idea is get back to the tournament and then go from there. Uh, you know, South Carolina – you look at the the times they've made it, you know, 97, 98, that, that looked like consistency, but then the bottom fell out. Uh, 04, and then you had the two NITs, which those should have been tournament teams, especially the second one. That, that may have been a sweet 16 team with as well as they were playing at the end. Uh, and then the bottom fell out. And you get the final four, and you, you haven't made it back to the tournament. So, you know, 98, 04, 17, I mean, you know, now another five years has passed, you know, and I'm not saying that, I don't think it's realistic for the Gamecocks to make it every year. Um, it's just, in basketball, that's hard to sustain. But but I do think, you know, three out of four, four out of five, you know, and, and when they hired Frank Martin, that was the idea. You look at what he did at K-State, he made it four out of five years, the five years he was there. Uh, never lost an opening game either. So that's the next step. That's hard to do. And so whether Frank does it or if he gets it back and then starts to be more consistent or not, that's the deal. Obviously, with baseball, the next step is making it back to Omaha. We'll see if that occurs. Uh, and then uh, for women's basketball, obviously, it's get another national championship. You sort of feel bad because in 2020, that team probably wins it going away. Um, and then last year, the, the, the brutal ending in the final four was Stanford. And then, you know, this year they're number one. Uh, you know, I, I think it's hard to get through a tournament and win a national championship. But I think it's a reasonable ex expectation, you know, for this program, considering the players they have. Should Dawn Staley face a bunch of criticism if they don't win it? No. Uh, like I said, it's hard. It's hard to win. But uh, that is the next step for them. So in all your programs, you always have next steps for both in recruiting and uh, the on-the-field performance facilities. You know, you, you always have next steps. And so that that's my whole point of today's kind of monologue uh, because there's a junior day, you know, is, is with the high school players. Now, because the portal, you know, I think putting together what they did from the portal last year where eight out of the ten are contributors – uh, at least, and then one of the ones that didn't, Prunty left after two days. You know, the, those guys all helped South Carolina win games this year. Zeb Nolan, Jason Brown, EJ Jenkins, uh, M. Brown, even though he didn't, you know, probably do as well as we anticipated. Uh, all those guys were on the portal David Spalding, Debo Williams. I mean, they all helped Jordan Strong. Uh, and so that was impressive. And then this year's group, 
you know, obviously with Spencer Rattler coming in uh, and all that, um, Austin Stogner, Christian Bill Smith, uh, Antoine Wells, who, you know, you continue to hear big time things about uh, all those guys, you know, and they're supposed to per Shane Beamer enroll probably by next week and they'll be in, in school and uh, not all Stogner will not Stogner has to stay. I think he graduates Oklahoma in the spring. So he'll be here over the summer, but uh, the rest of them should be there. And um, yeah, this was good news today. Jamie Bradford from the JB and Goldwater show. Uh, if you, if you don't listen to JB and Goldwater, I would encourage you to do it. Uh, they go live from 12 to two every day. Uh, Monday through Friday. And then it's also in podcast form if you'd like that. Um, you know, he, he broke some news today that the spring game this year on April 16th is going to be a night kickoff, an evening kickoff. There'll be a concert, some entertainment before the Gamecock baseball team plays Ole Miss that day. We know Ole Miss is a pretty good team. That'll be a pretty good series. Uh, so kind of a celebration day Gamecocks. If the weather, which is usually nice in Columbia that time of year, uh, if the weather holds up, shoot, that's uh, that's going to be fun. Um, and th- this program, this football program, the fans, everybody loves night games. I mean, it, it's uh, – and, and I think this year, very, very fortunate for the Gamecocks because there were a lot of noon kickoffs in previous years. I don't think – I think the Gamecocks had a home game that kicked off at noon at all. Um, and then a lot of night games, five night games at williams Bryce this year. Uh, so that's kind of part of the program. I mean, LSU is probably the the one program that you always associate with night games closely, and they're, they're militant about it down there. But, um, you know, South Carolina, too, at night is a – you know the fans prefer uh, the night games, and it's probably because of the massive party <laughs> out in the parking lot. But, um, you know – that's fine too, because it's a loud crowd and it's a good atmosphere. And certainly for those of you, and look, we know in spring games if there's a chance somebody will get hurt or something, they don't play them. But uh, um, or if they're any kind of injury at all, they sit them. But maybe a chance to get a look at Spencer Rattler. You know, Braden Davis is coming in. Uh, really, some of the new players on the team. Uh, pretty good deal. Uh, I think, plus it's going to be a huge recruiting weekend. So, you know, do I expect a crowd like A-Day in Alabama? No. Uh, That time, even with a night game, there's just too much to do around South Carolina that time of year. Everybody wants to go to the beach or play 18 holes. It's the night before Easter. Uh, But I do think South Carolina uh, could have a crowd better, you know, a, a big, the biggest spring game crowd they've had. And, and I think the biggest one previously that I know of was Spurrier's first year, 05, when, uh, shoot, Eric Hyman got hired that day uh, as the AD. Uh, they had about 25,000 in the stands. Uh, both lower bowls, I think, were full. So maybe there's a chance to get that uh, get that going, uh, you know, maybe have 30 or, or something like that. I don't know. I, I, I do like the fact that uh, the spring game is going to – be at night though. And that, that should have been in news in that. See, I'm all, I, I, I didn't even write an outline today. I said, look, I'm going to, I'm just going to wing it because <laughs> I need to get a podcast out. Hadn't had one uh, since I think Tuesday, maybe Wednesday this week. Uh, but like I said, been under the weather or whatever. All right. Time for the mailbag. 
which is the one, probably the big reason why, you know, I, I did this. I don't like to let the mailbag questions uh, linger too much because everybody enjoys the mailbag. And obviously the mailbag, as always, is sponsored by iHelp Consulting. iHelpConsulting.com. Uh, iHelp Consulting is a company that helps your business save money. Uh, Gamecock owned and operated. Their mission is to help you save money. Uh, you may be paying too much for credit card processing, internet insurance, anything else. I help can find your business the most savings without sacrificing quality. And remember, if I help can't save your business any money, you don't pay them anything. That's right. They can't help your business. There's no cost to you. Call or text Daniel Owens, 843-372-5713 or visit iHelpConsulting.com to schedule a free consultation. Uh, Daniel saved somebody $48,000. Uh, and how he gets paid, he's not going to charge you 52 if he saves you 48. It's just a percentage of the 48 for the first year. And then you get the savings in forever. You know what I'm saying? So uh, Daniel Owens, IHelp Consulting, 843-372-5713, iHelpConsulting.com, free consultation, IHelp Consulting, how can I help you? Proud sponsors of the mailbag, the IHelp Consulting mailbag. Um, David, he uh, tweets in. He's like, when does West Weeks plan to enroll in classes? I know he's visiting LSU and South Carolina. Does that put South Carolina in a favorable spot to land him if he's our last visit? The, the last visit thing, people make a big deal out of it a lot, but I've found through the years, with especially with high school kids, it doesn't really matter. Um, you know, for example, with Stock, now with the with the freaking uh, what is it, the, the, the portal, Stogner's last visit was Ohio State. Everybody was talking about oh, Ohio State, Ohio State, Ohio State. But um he went to the Gamecocks. And so uh, from the time Weeks hit the portal, I've heard the Gamecocks were in good shape. Obviously, there's the Zeb Nolan connection with Zeb's dad. Don't know what LSU told him. Don't know what Southern Cal told him. Don't know where those guys stand kind of in his mind. Uh, obviously, his brother is a big factor. Uh, so we'll see. I, I, I think there's a chance if they get him that he would go ahead and roll next week. Uh, I think that's the plan. Um, initially they were thinking maybe August and I don't know that that's completely off the table, but, uh, we'll see what happens. My understanding is the Gamecocks are right there. You know, maybe they don't get it. Uh, but, uh, it would surprise some people. Um, not me necessarily, but it would surprise some people because, you know, I know LSU has to fill roster spots. I know Southern Cal has to fill roster spots. Gamecocks are getting tight. Uh, that's why they're not going on Jalen Moody, the Alabama linebacker transfer from Conway. It's just there's no space. Um, so we'll see what happens there. But West Week certainly and his brother Witt are outstanding players. I mean, the Gamecocks could really do a whole lot worse <laughs> than those guys. So thanks, David. And, and by the way, two ways to get in the mailbag. David uh, used the first way. That's to tweet to at the Big Spur pod, at the Big Spur pod. So uh, look, man, I'm up to 794 followers on that Twitter account. Uh, by next week, let's get to 800. You know, tell four of your friends to follow at the Big Spur Pod. You can tweet at us or me. Uh, it's just me, really, that reads it. Um, and we will uh, we will read it. 
Cosmo Davis says, JC, what's the deal with the basketball team's turnover woes? 312th of the nation and 16 per game is hard to overcome. Uh, it is in a game like Tuesday. Uh, look, ugly, ugly, ugly. Uh, it was almost like Tennessee came out and said, we're going to play the ugliest brand of basketball we've played. And they'd been doing that for a while. And then the Gamecocks were like, well, hold my beer. I mean, you're talking dribbling it off your foot, out of control. Keyshawn Bryant really does not need to play uh, if he's going to dribble it off his foot and get out of control. He's When he was a freshman, he was like that. You know, sure, for every, every wow slam dunk uh, and stuff like that, you know, you'd have him where he'd get out of control, throw up a wild shot, dribble it off his knee. I thought in the Coastal game, you know, and I, Keyshawn's trying. You know, don't get me wrong. But in basketball, especially, you can try too hard. And you can play way out of control and really hurt yourself and your team. And I think he's doing it. He's not the only one. Wilton's Lebeck, shoot. And it was crazy because going into the game, I was talking to a friend of mine and uh, talking to uh, – and then in the, on the broadcast for the game, they were bragging on Wilton's. Oh, he's been very consistent. And he had. And then uh, I don't know what – why he struggled against Tennessee like he did, but he, he looked like a different player. Like he didn't forgot how to play basketball. So uh, that's got to stop. Um, you know, turnovers, some teams commit a lot of turnovers, right? And they overcome it. And South Carolina, to their credit, has. I mean, look, man, they're 10 and 5. It's not, season's not over. We, you know, he has 16, 15 more games. In the uh, in the SEC, plus maybe a reschedule with South Carolina State, so you still you still got a lot a lot of time, uh, and a lot of it's mental. But it's just you know when, when you're not shooting well and you're playing a team as good defensively as as uh, Tennessee, uh, or like in the case with the Coastal game when you're just getting humbled, you know out of control basketball is not the recipe. Uh, so that's. Uh, that is a concern. Um, I, I'll say this. It's probably because, you know, with everybody kind of in and out, this team hasn't hasn't really gelled like it should. Um, I do think, like, for a Frank Martin coach team, that normally that's very costly in, in the pre in the non-conference. Uh, if you kind of look at the results of the non-conference, South Carolina won some good games. I mean, they didn't lose to Wofford. They beat UAB, who's a – probably their best win right now. Um, you know, the Clemson game was unfortunate because half the team was out with COVID. Uh, but, you know, there was the coastal embarrassment, but they bounced back, beat Florida State, beat Georgetown. Um, and so with all these new faces, I thought, you know, Frank's as Frank's teams go, they're sort of ahead of schedule. I mean, because you had A.J. Wilson out, Cousinard out, Bryant was suspended. Uh, and, and you're trying to take Cousinard and Bryant and mold, you know, mesh them with a lot of new faces. And, you know, guys like Devin Carter and Jacoby Wright are freshmen. Uh, and so I, I don't know that it's realistic to think that they're not going to commit some turnovers. But Cosmo, like you said, 312th of the nation, that's, that's tough. It's hard to overcome. You know, especially like against Tennessee, that's a a fellow ugly ball team that plays good defense and, and things like that. Florida's going to come in today and defend 
So, like I said, many of you probably, uh, excuse me, to be honest, will uh, probably the game will be over by the time you know you guys listen to this. But uh, just sitting here now, an hour and forty-two before tip-off, that that's kind of my take is that we got to cut back on that, especially being at home because you know a win today, you kind of back on the plus side, and uh, you know, like I said, the SEC. Or I said earlier, SEC is not getting any any easier this year. Okay, Thomas. Hey, JC, I just watched Josh Pate's video on Georgia's budget. Are we giving enough cash back to the football program? I read that we devote 25%, whereas Clemson does 42%. I'm worried that we're setting up for failure with this Vanderbilt style of spending. Well, South Carolina's athletic budget, I think, is bigger than Clemson's as far as sports and you do have other programs you invest in. I, I'm not worried about the percentage. Uh, and a lot of people talk about this. You know, that's there was a ridiculously incorrect, uh, over-the-top attack on Ray Tanner in the Anderson Independent Mail that uh, used these stats to, to, to use it as a reason why South Carolina wasn't winning football games. And, and that's not true. I, I, I look at, like, how much are they investing are they cutting corners anywhere where uh, – like, like I'm talking specifics, you know, is South Carolina unable to hire needed staff? Is South Carolina, uh, you know, skipping on official visit meals or, or something like that? Are they, you know, it, it, when players come and visit, uh, do they feel like they're in a second-class place, not a first-class place compared to a Clemson or whoever? And so, you know, that's what my concern would be. And from what I can tell, no. I mean, it's you know, South Carolina spends a lot more on football than Vanderbilt. Uh, I just think maybe it's a bigger pool of money with the SEC. Um, I think that as far as, you know, the budget for recruiting goes, um, I think you're going to see – you know, the, the, and the numbers that get put out for recruiting are, uh, are what you spend. It's not what your budget is. The budget is in place to spend a whole lot more. But, you know, this past year, when, when you're not – when your coaches don't have to be on the road or can't be on the road for six months, you're going to save some money. So when that number comes out, you know, from 2020, 2020 2021 – uh, moving forward, uh, you guys are going to crap your britches because it's not going to be a very big number, but it won't be a big number for anybody. Uh, I think that uh, – and, and, look, I've been wrong about this. You know, I, I maybe I've sold the program short or I've sold – or the, nobody's been in there that, that's had this idea. I've never thought, you know, that, that that's the key to doing it. But, you know, maybe – you know, there, there's two ways to do it, South Carolina, I think. And, and, and the second way is hard. The, the first way is, okay, you know, you, you're going to start corralling all the top players in state. You're going to take those four or five guys from in state that, you know, not a lot of other schools want, but they're going to be great players because that's what happens with South Carolina players. You're going to go into North Carolina and raid guys, and then you're going to spot recruit uh, states that touch the Carolinas. You're going to get four or five out of Georgia every year out of the the Auburn, Tennessee, Florida tier. 
Uh, you can go down to Florida and find players, but but that's it. Um, a national type approach, uh, similar to what Tennessee used to do under Philip Fulmer, has never been something that I thought would work. I will say this. I am coming around a little bit on it because – and look, I, I've been on the record as a recruiting expert as saying you know, a lot of schools, you know, and I mentioned this about Georgia, you know, be careful. You know, be careful not taking kids from Georgia when you're in that kind of state with that much talent. And then you go strike out from guys far away or they get homesick and they leave and, you know, all that good stuff, you know, the players. Uh, and if you, honest to God, you look at that defense, most of those players, I mean, the Kobe Deans from Mississippi, Channing Tindall's from South Carolina, Jordan Davis from North Carolina. You know, most of those guys, though, your Trevon Walkers of the world, you know, they're all Georgia boys, all Georgia players. But um, and then there's some Florida mixed in and all that. But, uh, you know, so when you look at it, uh, you know, I, I've always kind of been hesitant you know, like like I've never thought it made sense for the Florida schools for, for Miami to go take a defensive back out of Massachusetts when there's players right there in the backyard. For, for the same reason, I thought, you know, it's probably impossible to do it with just South Carolina kids or 90% South Carolina kids here. But I thought if you combine both Carolinas, there's plenty to do and all that. Well, the issue Shane Beamer's had – uh, is, well, North Carolina, you know, a lot of those kids are going to UNC right now, plus kids in Virginia are going to UNC. So what do you do? And I thought it was smart to expand to the East Coast. Well, now I look at it, and you're like, well, man, they've signed four guys out of Alabama, signed a guy out of Mississippi, Louisiana. They've got three out of Texas. they got a quarterback from Arizona. you got a safety that just committed from Michigan. Uh, you know, you you got uh, Antoine Wells from Virginia. You know, you, you sort of start to feel like, well, yeah, you're probably not going to go out to Texas and beat all those schools on the number one player in Texas, but you can go get players. And, and that's kind of what Tennessee used to do. Uh, Tennessee found a nice pocket in South Carolina where they'd get, you know, they had three or four on that roster that were studs from the state. Uh, and I think the Gamecocks can can start doing that. But, man, you look at it, just the starting class this year, and they went up to, to – got Keenan Nelson out of Philly, Brubaker out of PA, Braden Davis out of Delaware. Uh, you, you look, it's very – it's expansive. And uh, with the portal and the fact that you get guys from all over out of the portal – you know, maybe that's a that's a key to kind of unlock it a little bit. Maybe, maybe more of a, of a Tennessee under Fulmer approach because you know Tennessee had the same issue, sort of the same issue. You know, uh, here's the issue of South Carolina: there are players in the state, and there's always, like I said, four or five that you know it doesn't matter who's recruiting them. You need to go take them because they're going to be good players because that's what happens. It's a criminally under-evaluated state. Uh, and so that's fine. It's a lot like Mississippi in that way, and uh, or even Alabama to a certain extent. But then, you know, and, and you're going to get Florida, Georgia, you know, going North Carolina, all that. But, you know, Tennessee's problem was, just like South Carolina's then, and, and that state has um, more players than it used to. 
there weren't enough. And then most, a lot of them were in Memphis, which is like a, a different state. It's more Mississippi and Arkansas. And so Fulmer said, all right, we're going to, here's how we're going to work around this. And they went national. Well, for South Carolina, you don't have that exact problem because you don't have a Memphis. The whole state's kind of close together. Geographically, it's much smaller. Uh, and you have Charlotte right there and all that. But you do have programs that are bo- kind of boxing you in that are recruiting well now. Clemson, Georgia, North Carolina, uh, those schools. And, and so you do have challenges, you know, that are at this point built in. Um, and like I've said many times, you know, the bottom line is you got to go get players. Doesn't matter where they're from, you got to get players. That's what recruiting is, getting players. And so what you can do is you can, if you can do it, instead of taking a flyer on an under-the-radar guy from Georgia, Florida, or South Carolina, if, if he's beyond that four or five that you know will work out, or you can go to Madison, Mississippi and, you know, fight a, a crusade, go on a crusade to get Stone Blatt, you know, or you can go uh, out to, you know, with a receiver. You maybe go find a guy that you think can play or, or that maybe – you know, has some discipline problems that, but he can play and you just kind of hold your breath and hope that he works out. Or you can go out to Texas and see that every program in Texas is making a huge mistake and go get Landon Sampson, you know, that kind of thing. And so, you know, maybe I'm coming around on it as far as that goes. So to your point, Thomas, to your question, uh, I think that recruiting expenditure number uh, because they they report these like two years after the fact. So down the road in like 2024, 2023, I think you're going to see that number go up. Uh, I'm not worried about the 25% versus 42%. I, I completely disagree that, that it's Vanderbilt style of spending, um, unless Vandy's percentages are the same. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I, I think it's the raw, you know, the two things I look at are number one, where are the shortcuts happening? You know, what, what is Clemson spending money on South Carolina isn't? Uh, and I can't see anything. You know, facilities, whatever, it's the same. Uh, and then number two, uh, what's the overall number? You know, dollars-wise, is South Carolina spending less money uh, than Clemson on football? Or, or is it the same and South Carolina's budget's just bigger? Uh, so that, that, that would be – those would be the questions. And I, I don't have those numbers in front of me, so – that's kind of a good topic for later. Um, Gamecock Pastor, he says, how does a defensive position coach differ from an OC in terms of bringing in NFL philosophies that aren't easily translated to college? This is a good point. I would assume it's just technique for a position coach, and Shane has evaluated for scheme fit. Any concerns about this hire? Uh, concerns? You always have concerns. I mean, no hire is guaranteed. To work out, I know what the needs of the program are, though, and I think it, it makes sense. You know, when you look at a guy that's coached at the highest level as a position coach, he knows what good looks like. He knows what you got to do to get there. So hopefully, he can communicate that to the players. Uh, totally different in terms of OC, though, because as we saw this past year, you know, you can screw up your offense in season, big time. Uh, if you try to adopt an NFL approach to every week. Uh, and, it, and it's a matter of time, you know, time to teach, uh, time to learn for the players. Uh, 
Uh, you know, if Sterling Lucas was a coordinator and only had NFL experience, yeah, I'd be like, no, no. But we know Clayton is Clayton White's defense, and he's a college coach. It's a college defense, and we saw uh, the improvement um, that uh, – Sorry, you know, I'm having problems completing your request. There goes Alexa. Try again later. We saw the improvement they made from what's rel- a relatively complex defense that you need not only talent but football IQ, which Georgia had this year, by the way. Those guys uh, were just kind of in a zone as far as playing playing free in that scheme. Uh, you could tell those guys had it down, and they were immensely talented. It, it wasn't just – a situation where, oh, Georgia's got a bunch of players and you roll out the football and they go. Uh, but Muschamp's scheme at South Carolina just – it was comp- complex, especially in the on the back end. And then you see this year with, you know, not as many NFL players on the back end that we know about, like we did with J.C. Horn and all those guys. You see how much better it was. South Carolina was eighth in the country in passing yards allowed. So – you know, that's uh, that's kind of the point there is that schemes and coordinators and things like that. Uh, and, you know, you look at – I know Missouri had a pretty good defensive uh, game against the Gamecocks, but you look at Missouri's defense this year, and what, it was just getting destroyed. They weren't that bad player-wise uh, because it was a you know, complex, it was an NFL, NFL kind of deal. So um, – you know, that that's my take on that. I think that uh, you have to, you know, watch it with your coordinators, you know, position coaches. Uh, the concern with somebody coming from the NFL would actually be, you know, recruiting. Um, and 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 while I don't know if Sterling Lucas will be a good recruiter or a bad recruiter uh, or a mediocre recruiter or just a guy that's there, I don't know because right? because he's never done it. So uh, he could be great. But, but that's the concern. I just think right now for the needs of the program, uh, you, you, you don't really focus as much on that. If you focus on that, you know, then uh, our guy Christian Robinson could have, should have gotten the job because he's a proven recruiter. But uh, I think Carolina needs to – right now the immediate need is get um, get the guys going. You know, they need better player development. Uh, Not by much, but they need some player development uh, on the defensive line, not just for this coming season, but for for coming years as well. Uh, Thanks, Game God Pastor. Always enjoy your tweets and questions and certainly appreciate it. Certainly appreciate it. Okay. The other way to get in the mailbag is to email me inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com, and we'll go with that. that uh, go to this point. Uh, Justin, JC has just read the lengthy to carry and Joyner discussion on the message board. Seems to be a lot of strong opinions as to his true position and best position. What I didn't see was anyone saying he'd be a good running back. I think he would. Since some big plays running from scrimmage. We're currently thin at running back. It could incorporate H-back passes into the offense. What's your opinion of Joyner being a running back? Well, Mr. Mr. White. All right, Mr. White. Now, I um, I like the idea. I, I have for a while. Um, I, I do think he's at his best when he's running from scrimmage and not running routes and things like that. 
Uh, at this point, though, I mean, you know, South Carolina, and here's another recruiting note, Lavoisier Carroll from Georgia at the portal. Uh, he was a corner. Georgia moved him to corner, but he's a running back. Of South, he becomes a South Carolina, and he was a top 100 guy. He runs 4-5 in the 40. Uh, can be a really good running back. I, I don't know why Georgia moved him. Georgia's probably got that luxury, though, with their running back depth. Uh, you know, so you're going to have five and then six with this kid uh, from Columbia University if he comes. I do think DeGarian Joyner is a quarterback. And I don't know what the staff is going to do. Uh, I don't know if he's staying at receiver or what. I, I, I would hate it, though, because you, you saw in the bowl game, guys, just how kind of average Joyner was at receiver. Okay, not not bad, not terrible, but average. And then you put Jaheim Bell and Amari Brown there. And there's they're open and they're downfield making plays and they're, they're fast, and they're, they're, they're explosive. And DeCarion's a quick and explosive athlete when he's a quarterback. When he's not a quarterback, not so much. And so. With Joyner, he obviously likes being there and being part of the program. I just let him go compete at quarterback. And believe it or not, I think if he devoted all of his time to it, he'd have a shot at the number two position in 2022. And uh, he could be like a Dylan Thompson one-year starter. I can't rule that out. Now, some of the people in that thread were like, he's terrible. Now, now the one guy – uh, I don't. I don't think one guy that was most militant about it was just kind of looking at what Joiner had done with the Wildcat this year. And, and look, the Wildcat was terrible, but a lot of the Wildcat stuff, you know, is on coaching. I mean, when to call it, what to call, how to do it. What are you telling him to do? You know, do you need to tell him to give it? I mean, what what's the the setup there? And they didn't do wildcatting as North Carolina. I mean, it was he kind of ran a scaled back version of the entire offense. And so, you know, to me, that's kind of quarterbacking. And at Georgia in 2019, when he was forced into action, you know, he didn't do anything spectacular, but he darted out of there for a first down, completed a good pass to Nick Muse for a key first down. South Carolina had the lead. Um, South Carolina doesn't run that clock. Who knows? Jake Fromm made somebody gets behind the defense. Fromm completes a pass. Gamecocks don't win, you know. And then Joyner was in there, didn't fumble, didn't turn it over. I mean, so, you know, to me, every time he's played quarterback here, he's been solid. I mean, you can't do much better than nine for nine. We're all of his passes perfect now. But, you know, but. He carried it 10 times for 64 yards, which, you know, I don't know that Joyner gets that many yards if, if he's not a quarterback, you know, running back or whatever. So that would be what I would do with him. I mean, I, I don't – I think it's going to be interesting because what I always hate to see is uh, unless the guy behind him is just like a, you know, a turd sandwich that doesn't work hard and doesn't lift weights, but but he is better, but he's just, you know, you're, you're – you're not going to play, you know, there's some kind of issue with a guy behind it. Um, 
I don't really believe in just rewarding loyalty and, and enthusiasm for the program uh, or uh, production at another position uh, when you have players behind it they, they can do a lot better. And when there's that dramatic of a difference between Jordan the wide receiver and Jordan the quarterback, I think he's a quarterback. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, that would be where what, you know, DeCarry and Jordan would be in the Marcus Satterfield group, taking, you know, learning the offense, learning the playbook, running the system, all that good stuff uh, for me. Uh, and I'll tell you this right now, you know, I've said from the start, I think Luke Doty needs a year to sit. Uh, you know, what if Spencer Rattler, God forbid, got hurt? You know, are you going to go force Doty into action again? No, it's probably going to be better and ready. But, you know, Joyner's a good insurance policy, in my opinion, because I, I, I just think that's what the kid is. Now, I understand not everybody's going to agree with me on that, and I'm not, I'm not going to call anybody an idiot uh, if they don't think Joyner's a good quarterback or a worthy quarterback, or if you think he's transferred to start or whatever. Uh, what I do know, what I am pretty militant about is I don't think he's a receiver. I think you lose something when you don't put Bell or Brown or whoever at his receiver spot. And that's not fair. That's not going to be fair to Spencer Rattler, whoever your quarterback is. Um, so I hope to God that uh, that's what happens. And that's, and I love to carry Jordan. I, I was so proud of him, you know, just as a person and a human being, uh, he's persevered. He's a good dude, good player, all that. But, but I also think his heart's a quarterback. I mean, if the guy is a natural at that position and not a natural anywhere else. So that's my take on it. Um, and like I said, I have no inside information that he's going to stay. I mean, uh, and I'll tell you this, I will be critical if he's at receiver and starting next year and eating snaps. Thanks, Mr. White. Will says, he said something on a past podcast about how if DK plays receiver next season, you have to play him because he's a veteran leader returning starter. That's a struck a chord as it's a fear I have on the O-line. Do you think some of the guys coming back could be detrimental to overall line play? Think about guys like Brashawn Lee, Wanamaker, and even Trey Jones. They might not get a chance because they're behind someone that's been there forever. I'm not convinced that, including these guys that line up, it wouldn't yield better results. I'm worried if they won't get a chance to win the job because it feels like benching Douglas or Gwen is out of the question. Thanks for all you do. I, you know, Douglas would be the only one I would try to bench. Now, I don't know what you do with Dylan Wanham versus Tyshawn Wanamaker. Do you move Wanamaker inside? Uh, Honest to God, if Jovan Gwynn could start for me at defensive tackle, I would move him over there. But are you going to really move him after five years? I don't know. Um, and I know Douglas probably know mentally knows every time. I just, you know, he, he he's he's been here a while and he's just not terribly strong and, and all that. So Douglas is it jazz turning time to me would would be a backup. You know, that would be a guy that, you know, I, I've I've seen that experiment not work individually too often. Now, like Joe Von Gwynn, when he stands straight up and turns to the left and a guy runs right by him. We all know Joe Von Gwynn's not turning down contact. He's confused. 
And so that's the thing. But yeah, Vershawn Lee to me was probably the most consistently good offensive lineman all year. He needs to be in the lineup. Uh, Wanamaker played better than Wanham at right tackle. Now, the question you have to ask yourself, though, is, you know, Dylan Wanham had a back issue. We all know how that can really screw you up, okay? So so what we don't know is, was he in pain this year? You know, that kind of thing. Um, I don't know that Wanham's gotten a whole lot better since his freshman year, uh, and I think he needs to. So that's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out on the O-line. I, I I am with you in terms of some of the younger guys are better and should supplant the older guys. Um, but I don't know if it'll happen. I don't know if it'll happen. And uh, like I said, I'm not at practice. So uh, that's, uh, that's the deal. All right, Chris. He says, J.C. heard you on J.B. and Goldwater. Wish I get their take as well, but I'll pose it to you. I agree with some of most points about why the expanded playoff could be good for upper middle class football programs. Think about the game Monday. Wholeheartedly believe if Manchi or Jamison Williams played that entire game, Bama wins. The offense went stagnant with no explosiveness after Williams went down. The teams that play the championship were all playing 14th, 15th game. You think it's a good or bad thing if they keep adding more games and risk more wear and tear? More injuries might create more parity if the team can stay healthy at key positions, but you risk getting a watered-down product by the time the championship game comes around. Thanks, as always, Chris. The number of games is an issue. Now, look, the ACC yesterday announced we're not going to expand the playoff. You know, and I say it in that accent because that's kind of how it struck me. And then I talked to the Clemson players. They don't want to play any more games. And I'm going to say this about our friends at Clemson and Oklahoma and Ohio State. Of course you don't want to expand the playoff. Why would you? If you're Clemson, you basically right now, while the Gamecocks aren't competing with them, you know, you play maybe one like SEC team a year, A&M, Auburn, Georgia, or you play Notre Dame. You got the ACC where everybody's down now. They're trying to rebuild a little bit, but we've been saying that now for a decade. You know, Pitt, Wake Forest, you know, wow, those are tough, big-time tough ones right there, right? Uh, So you you breeze through most of your schedule, okay? And and look, it it may not always be that way. It wasn't that way in 2016. That was a very good league that year. But it's up and down, and the rest of the teams in that conference just don't. Even North Carolina, look, look, look at what they did this year. Face plant, okay? Um, I didn't think they were quite top ten, but I thought they were more like eight and four-ish, not six and seven. Um, so, of course you don't want to. And I know why, because you've got to – I mean, that, that that's worked for Clemson now for six, seven years. It would have worked this year had, had they not – you know, screwed around and lost some games. You know, they would have gone eleven and one, gotten to the playoff. So yeah, you go and you know, South Carolina's not doing it. And look, I talk all the time about Beamer and the Gamecocks and how to build it. And I think the building process is going good and very, very happy uh, as you all should be about that first year. But until South Carolina competes against Clemson on the field. They're going to chalk it up to a win. It's not a comp. It's not a competition. Okay, so then you go beat whatever mediocre team wins that other division, 
Uh, congratulations to Pitt. I think it's the first time anybody from that division has won in, I guess we had to go back to Virginia Tech probably a long time ago. Uh, was that 2012 when Virginia Tech won it? I think so. Ten years almost. Uh, but so you play whatever dog crap team you got to go play in Charlotte. Uh, and you're undefeated and you've got good talent and you're healthy. So then you go shoot your shot against Ohio State or Alabama or Notre Dame or, or whoever Clemson's played over the years. LSU. And then if you win that one, you're playing for the Natty. You may not even be, you know, you may not even be, if you play, if you're Clemson, like in 2017, Clemson was the number one seed in the playoff. They played Alabama, who was a four seed. And that was two SEC teams that year. Bama just – Bama handled them pretty well. Uh, and that Clemson team was great. They beat the crap out of Carolina. Uh, won, you know, beat Auburn. Uh, won the ACC against Miami going away. But they weren't at the level Bama was or Oklahoma or Georgia that year. So why do it? Oklahoma gets – you know, with the exception of that Rose Bowl against Georgia, they've gotten crushed every time they've gone to the playoffs. But they go. Now that's going to change. <laughs> so I guess Oklahoma probably shouldn't be in, should be in favor of expansion. Ohio State, why, why, why? You know why? Sure, they didn't win it this year. They lost the Michigan game. But they may have been they may have been one of the best teams in the country. They may have they may they may have been better this year than Alabama. They just lost two games. So, you know, if I'm those schools, why would I want to expand the playoff and have to play more games? And then for the ACC to come out and say that, now there's a lot of reasons. I think they're trying to, to kind of back Notre Dame into a corner to join their league uh, full-time for football, which is probably never going to happen. But, uh, you know, I, I just – I think it's ridiculous – uh, if you're trying to be more than a one-trick pony as a conference, it stands to reason that you would like more teams, right? Doesn't it? You know? Um, and so, of course, Clemson's players are going to say no more no more games. Uh, now I'll say this. You know, it, it, it's 17 games in a season is a lot. A lot. Um, and so, I, I, you know, looking at it, you know, how do you how do you how do you do it? Because you, you know the SEC is not getting rid of the SEC championship game. That's not happening. Um, the other other leagues maybe may, they may not care because um, those aren't the money makers. That, so so do, you, do you maybe you know pull everything back? Maybe the SEC championship game weekend is is something like the Big Ten uh, did during the pandemic year and you just go, okay, well, we're going to have the championship game in Atlanta, but then everybody else is going to do home and home cross divisions or pods or whatever. And so everybody's going to get that one extra game. Uh, but then you're not asking teams, you know, most teams are playing 11 or something like that, or, or most teams are the, the teams that go to the championship are not having to go and play that extra game. And then you're a max at 16 um, high school teams play 15 most of the time uh, if they go to the championship. 
and, and nobody says anything about it. And so my opinion, you know, yeah, okay. So, so you know, 15 games, Clemson played 15 games a couple of years ago. So you're playing one more, possibly, if if you don't get a first round buy. Uh, and to me, that's not a that's not a huge deal. I mean, Georgia and Alabama both 15 games this year. Not a not a huge deal. Not going to do that. Now, getting into 17 and all that, that's tough. Um, of course, in the NFL this year, there's going to be 20 teams play 20, 21 games. Um, so that's the deal. So I. Uh, you know, that, that's my thing. They probably have to thread the needle a little bit on this and get creative. Thanks, Chris. Uh, Cartwright says, two questions. One of them is pretty good. If you're going to give a star rating to all of our transfers given a performance in college, how would you rate them? Reed and Wells would be – Reed probably a low-end four-star. Wells, mid-four-star. Rattler, high four-star. Stogner, high four-star. Dawkins, high three-star. Bill Smith, high three. Uh, is that everybody? Uh, Weeks, to me, probably a low four, just based on the number of time he has left. If they get Lavoisier Carroll, probably like a 93-ish type four-star. Um, number two, what are your thoughts on Joey Hunter? And where he, where he will play this year. I remember his freshman year. I was impressed with him and disappeared. He hadn't been healthy. And I and honest to goodness, I, I don't know. I mean, he may be a guy that uh surprises, or he may be a guy that maybe goes because the numbers at DB are getting tight. I mean, he may be a guy that decides to go seek an opportunity elsewhere. Uh the thing with Joey is is he a corner, is he a safety? And and he hasn't had a, he hadn't been healthy long enough to figure that out. So um not sure about that. And, and yeah, for your other thing, I, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I think I did say something about it on the podcast car, right? But anyway, I'm not miffed at you at all, man. It's all good. All right. Larry says, I am really excited about the new receiver Wells. With that being said, what are the main adjustments he will have to make or overcome to be a real difference maker this season? I think he's got to stay healthy, and obviously he's got to learn the offense, uh, but that's about it. Uh, I, I think he's really good. And you can kind of tell, man, when he went in the portal, you know, Carolina jumps on him, but then you got North Carolina, Texas, Miami, Oregon, uh, all these teams, LSU, all these teams that need players jumped in on him. So, uh, and the Gamecocks got him. Uh, good job by Shane Beamer. Justin Step, working that one. Uh, but yeah, that to me, that's it. You know, obviously it's a little different playing in the SEC versus playing the teams James Madison plays, but at receiver, uh, you know, if he were a high school player, five star high school player, which is what I think he probably is, uh, or would be rated if if he had if he did, if he had the tape he did at James Madison coming out of high school, he'd be a five star guy. Um, what's the difference in that stepping in and, and playing as a freshman versus going from FCS and then playing as a first year player in the SEC? Uh, FCS is much tougher than, than high school. Um, and so that's it there. So, yeah, so change my rating for the previous question to a five for Wells now that I think about it like that. 
Daniel says, JC, I'm generally an optimist, but worried the bowl game and portal additions are setting expectations too high for 2022. I'm not saying they can't have a great season, but we can still make progress. And some fans will see it as a failure because they had higher expectations than what might be attainable. What are your thoughts? Um, I think it's good to have expectations of improvement. Uh, I think it's reasonable to expect to con- compete in the game at the end of the year against Clemson next year, because you're not bringing a knife to a gunfight, provided everybody's healthy. Um, you know, Georgia's losing a lot of players. They got to come to Columbia. That's always a mixed bag for them. Although Kirby's three trips to Columbia been double digit wins. Uh, but um, yeah. I mean, I, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's reasonable to expect improvement. Um, and what you look for is at certain positions too. And, and you, you sort of hope that the offensive coordinator situation is, it works out at least to the point where, okay, when this guy's got players, you know, it's okay. Um, and then maybe maybe he parlays that and go back to the NFL or something. I don't know, but uh, you, you just got to hope that it's it's players uh, with that offensive line as well. But you know, look, it's it, South Carolina plays in the Southeastern Conference. Um, they got to go to Kentucky next year. Kentucky was actually pretty fortunate with the players they've got coming back. Uh, you know, expectations in College Station are going to be sky high because of this recruiting class, but I'll also caution you that these recruiting classes take two years sometimes to really start making an impact. Uh, but, ex- but they're going to be tough. Obviously, South Carolina's not beating them. You know, Tennessee comes to town the week before Carolina goes up to Clemson. It's the senior night or senior day. You know, their tempo is ridiculous. You know, they could, they could give anybody a game and they've got – Hooker coming back and everybody else, you know, you got to kind of look around, see, hey, these teams are going to be good. Arkansas, uh, who I thought, well, it's probably not going to be, probably not going to be as challenging with the players they've lost. Well, that that quarterback Malik Hornsby, who if you watch the Outback Bowl, he's Michael Vick, Lamar Jackson fast. Uh, he came out of the portal and came back to Arkansas, so that's at least one weapon they have back. They're going to be tough out there. Game two series, you got a tough schedule. So, you know, if you're looking for 10 wins, maybe that won't happen. But, you know, I think the hope would be South Carolina uh, improves on its win total. And, you know, let's be honest, there's some games South Carolina was not competitive. They got blown out. And – Maybe less blowouts, you know, this coming year. Thanks, Daniel. Uh, and the final question comes in from Mitchell Opal as well. I saw Debo Samuel got first team all pro by AP with the 49ers. I was curious to know how much this could impact South Carolina's recruiting of wide receivers in future classes. The possibility of landing greater talent in the position. You have to assume prospects look at Samuel's performance to strongly consider South Carolina because that's the school that got him where he is today. Your thoughts. Thank you, Mitchell. Yeah, and they sell that. They sell the Debo. I mean, Debo didn't play for Shane Beamer or Justin Stebb, but they sell that just like Will Muschamp sold Alshon Jeffrey and those guys. 
Uh, you always it always helps to have great players that you can talk about that are playing in the NFL, and, and you can say this institution, this football program, you know, they can get you to where you need to be. Look at Debo Samuel; he he wasn't very heavily recruited. You know, came to South Carolina, got healthy, helped him with his injury situation, ended up being, you know, an all-SEC player, second-round draft pick. Now he's an all-pro. And uh, one of the players the entire league is talking about. So, there you go. Of course. Good idea, Mitchell. That's a good idea. All right, that's all the time we have, man. I mean, my, my voice made it through. I'm going to sit back, kick back. Watch a little Gamecock basketball. Watch a little NFL football today. Uh, but uh, did want to get you guys a podcast out. Don't know if they'll be commenced later today or whatever. But stay tuned. Hail my grand for the bigspur.com and everybody else will have that for you. Uh, also, YouTube quick hits. I don't know if you, those of you that follow the Twitter account see some see my beautiful face uh, there on YouTube. Uh, subscribe the Big Spur YouTube page. Uh, Going to start having some more content there, maybe a little daily minute update, something like that uh, here in the near future. Uh, but go to youtube.com slash the big spur. Subscribe there. I, uh, it, It's not, you know, we don't have a television operation here, but uh, it's there's some kind of nice special content there that, that that's more geared toward, you know, what I call the free audience, the, the, the folks that listen to the podcast that may not be subscribers. Uh, to the big spur, the, the the folks that subscribe on social media, the, the free, you know, the folk, the masses. Uh, good, always good to have stuff like that there. So subscribe to the big spur YouTube page uh, if you get more of me and my hot takes. So anyway, all right, folks, uh, that's all the time. I'll holler at you next week. JC Sherbert on a Saturday inside the Gamecocks podcast.